welcome to episode 25 of the Tech Done Right podcast, Table XI's podcast about building better software, careers, companies, and communities. I'm Noel Rappin. After you listen to the episode, you can join the conversation. Follow us on Twitter at tech underscore done underscore right, where you can get notifications of new episodes and tell us what you think. You can leave comments on our website at techdoneright.io and also see our full catalog of past episodes. We're really curious about what you like and don't like about the show and what you'd like to hear us discuss in future episodes, so please let us know. Also, if you want to help other people find the show, leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts is a great way to do that. Thanks. Liz Abenante is a senior software engineer at GitHub and occasionally acts as empress of documentation for Ruby Together. She's an enthusiastic community member and speaker who recently gave a talk on the social responsibility of coding. We talk about what that means, about the value of seeing the whole context around your work, and, well, whatever else came to mind along that topic. I enjoy talking to Liz, and I hope you all enjoy our conversation. Thanks. Here you go with Liz. Liz, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody? Hi, everyone. It's literally me. Nice to meet you. <laughs> and what are you doing these days, Liz? These days, I'm actually, um, I've been at GitHub for about a month. I'm a senior engineer working on the projects feature for the website, the Kanban style planning board. I'm doing a bunch of really cool stuff for that. I have used that. Not a lot, but I've used it. Well, thank you for giving me a job, I guess. <laughs> So Liz, we're here to talk about a presentation that you gave called The Social Responsibility of Coding. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what you talked about? Yeah, so I have been seeing a lot of stories cropping up on like TechCrunch and all the like miscellaneous internet websites for all the miscellaneous internet people saying things like, this random family's life has been destroyed because an anonymous internet company mapped every unmappable IP address to their house, which happens to be exactly in the middle of the United States. They had a toilet in their driveway, like their miles-long driveway. They had SWAT teams show up because they thought they had children kidnapped. They had like people thinking that there was murders and suicides and all these terrible, terrible things happening. Because obviously the only reason you hide your location on the internet is because you're a criminal. That was sarcasm. This is not true. <laughs> but there was I kept seeing articles like this where we would do terrible things on accident. That particular case, there was a really good Wired article. Yeah. I think Reply All, Reply All just also did a piece on it that was really good. And so I read both of those and I was like, man, this is like brutal. This is like pretty terrible. And then little things would happen. Like, for example, this isn't really a little thing, but um, Blue Apron has some of the most atrocious safety and labor violations out of any company in California's history. Like California with like a vibrant manufacturing and agricultural like labor force has had all these problems, but the worst offender of all time ever is Blue Apron. And this company's been around like not very long. <laughs> yeah. Also not a sponsor. <laughs> well, that's good. That's convenient. That would be awkward if they were. And then it would be like true little things like Instacart switched from having tips to service fees to help pay everybody equally. But that took away your ability to provide a tip, which, you know, in the United States is like a pretty standard way to like offset non-living wages. And so it's just these tiny, tiny decisions that were being made for technical reasons or for tech companies that removed people from the equation. So this is a little bit different from the idea that like algorithms are causing people's problems. Yeah. This is like people are making technology without thinking about the ramifications of the things that they're building. Right. So I'm not thinking about the possibility that somebody might actually live at this place that I create as the default. Exactly. As the default lat long for IP addresses I can't figure out. 
Uh, it's just in the middle. It's flyover country. Nobody's there. Yeah, right? and the thing is, it was so silly. It was because they wanted a human readable number. Like the true middle of the United States, if they had done the true middle, it would have not been a discernible address. It was like so far away from a discernible address that it was like not. It was clear. It was a field. But when they rounded the number to make it human readable, like just easy to read, it was their front door. Like, really? You didn't think to check? And like, I get it. This decision was probably made like back when like four people used the internet and three of them were using it to like share files locally. So it wasn't even really the internet. It was the fake internet. And like, they didn't check. They didn't think. And like, I kept wondering with things like the Volkswagen case where the engineer actually got jail time and a fine for frauding the government about what he did. (laughs) Like, are you willing to go to jail for the code that you write? Are you willing to go to jail to ship the feature that your manager or your product manager or your VP tells you you have to ship? That is not a question I have ever asked in a job interview. (laughs) I mean, like, no one's ever asked me, are you willing to go to jail for your code? No, but I've been in situations like I have done work with, you know, healthcare. It's been a while, but I've done work with healthcare stuff and financial stuff where you bump up against legal responsibilities very, very fast, especially in finance and especially in those two areas. And it certainly helps. I don't. It certainly, as an engineer, you need to know where the limits of the law are so that you can tell. Oh, for sure. I don't know. I, I may or may not have at some time in the past done. I, I, I've definitely done things that were not PCI compliant at a client request <laughs> over my objections, but still. There's like true legal issues where PCI compliance is like very. It's like very black and white. You know what you need to be doing. And then there are like fuzzy things like data storage policies and like data retention policies. Do you really, really need to be storing and tracking all of this data in perpetuity? Like not only does that seem a little dubious, like how safe is that data, but also environmentally, the amount of energy you have to produce to keep those servers running to store that information, is that worth it? Like environmentally, is it responsible to keep saving all of this data just because we can? Like the cloud has given us this ability to do all of this stuff that we couldn't do before. Like, honestly, the cloud is probably why I love engineering so much because it just makes my job a lot easier. But at the same time, do you really need every single piece of data that you're storing? Right. It enables us to, to sort of not see the cost. I think one of the issues here generally is people not seeing the costs of their actions or the potential costs. And we can just save something to the cloud and Hey, it's just, it's in a cloud, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a real data center somewhere in a field to see they could use that as the default mm-hmm. address for the IP, some data center. That'd be so oh, funny yeah. if it was like area 51 or something like that. Seriously. And we're going to get to the point where like the cloud has acid rain. Like there's going to be something that goes wrong here. And like, is it responsible? Do we matter? Do we care? Like all these like very like heady philosophical questions, but at the same time, we should be asking them. We should be more aware of what we're building and like how it's being used and the side effects of what we're building. So we have a couple of different issues here. One of which is just in terms of data storage is being responsible in terms of, of limiting data and thinking about what you need to store and how securely you need to store it. I mean, obviously there's been all kinds of things in, especially recently in the news about companies that have, have used like terribly irresponsible practices with very important data. But also we're not thinking about the product decisions that we make and how they actually affect end users from a like 
I don't want to say ethical because that feels very heavy handed, but from a like, are we doing good things or are we doing bad things? Right. So one question is like, are we like being responsible with the, with the choices that we're making in our data? And a whole different level is like, is this product a good thing to be working on? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like there are some things that are obviously bad. Like if you make things that enable people to do harm to others, like you're actively choosing to make harm easier for people, that's bad. That's very clearly bad. But something like being a privileged tech worker, making six figures and eliminating the ability to tip someone who's just trying to make a living wage, that doesn't necessarily like on the surface seem bad, but like it's pretty mean. Right. And then you have things like Uber, which forgetting about their practices, their business practices for a second. If you think of just Uber as a business, Uber is tremendously convenient or Lyft or those services, but they also are convenient because and cheaper in most cases because they are undercutting government regulations in many situations. It's also true of Airbnb. And some of those things are potentially there just to protect existing taxing companies and probably shouldn't be there. But some of those things are there to protect consumers or drivers uh, and probably should be there. So like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, Sarah May had a recent tweet storm about like trying to dig out which side of the gray area Uber was just as a business, regardless of their terrible practices. Mm -hmm. How do you as an engineer approach these kinds of things? Like you're working on a specific tool right now. Does How does this come up in your day-to-day -day or your project-to-project -project existence? Happily, it has not come up a ton because I've only been here for a month. <laughs> right, but you've had other, you've also worked at other places. And... Oh, yeah. Like I worked at New Relic, land where all of your data lives. If you are a New Relic customer, like they have all your data, like not your customers' customers' data, but like they store freakish amounts of data. And there are like a lot of conversations that I can recall. I'm like, do we really need to save this? Do we really need to have this information? And a lot of the times it came down to, no, we don't actually need to have or save this information. And so every time we would work on a new feature or need to save a new piece of data or need to manipulate a piece of data, it's kind of like, is this okay? Like I was always deeply concerned about having access to our customers' customers' information. Like we shouldn't, and we never did. Like Neuralink did a really great job of that. But like, it's still, you have this enormous data warehouse. And so you care a lot about security. And there was a great security team at Neuralic. And you care a lot about the integrity of the data. You want to make sure that you're only looking at the data for the person you want to be looking at. And I like developed, I would like to think a very healthy paranoia <laughs> around my user's data. Um, and like a very firm respect for the people who put those situations in place. But like people who know me are not going to be surprised by this statement. I was never afraid to stand up and say, we shouldn't do that. It's wrong in a feature planning meeting or road mapping session. We would say, well, what if we could, like, we have all this data. What if we could pull all this correlational information and pull it together and draw all these conclusions? And I'm like, should we be doing that though? A very scary place to start is we have all this data. What can we do with it? Right. And like, that's a cool place to start, but it's also a terrifying place to start. And especially when like your customers put so much trust in the places they provide their data. Like think about like your Gmail account, for example. Oh, sure. You put so much trust into Google to keep your Gmail account safe. But we've all seen the horror stories of people getting locked out of their Gmail accounts and not being able to get back in because there's no customer service to speak of. 
or just being sort of creeped out by advertising that is, seems to be based on their, you know, the texts of their emails. Because we have all this data, what, what can we do with it? Right. And one of the things that you can do with it is micro-target, which is also there's been a ton of, of, of articles and things like that in the newspaper about uh, in the news about using micro-targeting in ways that are probably unethical. Yeah. And I used to work in the ed tech space. I made an online learning management system at one of my earlier engineering gigs. And I was always deeply concerned about like the privacy of minors but also the like legality around minors using the internet is like so complicated. And so we would be building features and one of the features would be related to like a parent being able to have access or not have access to something. And I was always like a very strong advocate of like, well, what about the privacy of the child? This is important. (laughs) Right. And there are situations where the school district where I live, children are given Chromebooks that have, you know, camera capabilities and the teachers, at least in theory, have the ability to see the student's desktop and see the, probably not the camera, but definitely the desktop, even when they're not in school, which I think is a little bit creepy. That's creepy. Definitely goes to like a place of not really thinking through some of the dimensions of allowing that access. Right. Because could you imagine if your company sponsored computer could just like turn on your camera at any moment during the work day, just during the work day, they could turn on your camera and see what you were doing. Like creepy. Yes. Very creepy. Violation of your privacy. Definitely. Kind of, sort of. (laughs) Probably legal. But yeah, right. Which is also disturbing because I feel like I see that story like every couple of years where somebody has come up, there's some company that is like key logging their employees or trying to figure out when their employees take breaks or something like that in a way that feels super invasive. Because it always is super invasive and it all comes down to like, I like to summarize this talk as like, just because you can doesn't mean you should. (laughs) That's really like the overarching theme. So when you're in this situation and you, it sounds like you've been in this situation more directly than I have of saying like, this is not a good thing to do. Like, how does that play out? If you're an engineer and you are in a situation where you feel like something disturbing or unethical or illegal is going on, like what do you recommend that people be prepared to do? How do you prepare for that kind of thing? Or is it just something that happens in the moment? I mean, like for me, it was just something that kind of like I fell into. Um, But it was like, it's also, I feel very secure in my job. I feel very um, respected in my industry and the role that I provide. Like, I, I feel like I'm very secure where I am. And so for me, it's very easy to kick up a fuss about stuff that I think needs to have a fuss, you know? Like, I feel like I can really get in there and make ruckus. But for other folks who may have objections, they may not have that same level of job security or, like, they may not have built up a reputation in their industry yet. And so it's incredibly risky for them to go out on a limb and be like, we shouldn't do this. It's pretty terrible. And so like for people like me, and there are a lot of people like me in this industry, people who are relatively secure in their positions, relatively well-respected in their area of expertise, they have a little bit more leverage. And like, I'll just say it, they have more power in these kinds of scenarios. And like leveraging that power is the most important thing because not everybody has it. And so for those of us who do, It's being vocal and like succinct and clear about like why this is terrible, how it could not be terrible. Like in the case of an online learning management system where you're building features for use by minor children where parents could potentially see their activity in some way, like 
it's very easy to come up with an alternative there. It gets very easy to say, instead of giving them this permission, what if we gave them this permission? What if we redacted this data? Like there's so many different options there that it's very easy to have an alternative solution. And if there's been like one theme throughout my career, it's don't be the problems person, be the solutions person, which is sometimes kind of garbage, but sometimes kind of true. And I think when you're bringing up concerns of, are we doing a good thing? Are we doing a responsible thing? Are we taking our customers' data and keeping it safe? Are we doing things with integrity? In that scenario, like, it's just different. It's easier to be the problem person in that scenario. You don't always have to be the solution person because that's a really fucking hard problem. Like, that is such a hard problem. It's so, so, so hard to have a concern about privacy, about data integrity, about even ethics, and just, like, come up with a solution. There are people, like, there's a whole discipline. Ethics, it's a thing. You can study it. Really, I swear. There's like a whole industry around what's right and what's wrong and how you determine that. So you don't always have to be the solution bearer. And I feel like in this scenario, people, when they see a problem, we've been conditioned in this industry to have a solution and you don't have to, but you do have to like understand the problem and it doesn't hurt to get some people on your side to like pull your teammates or your pals and be like, oh man, we're going to build this thing and it's going to put everybody's data as a live stream in Times Square just because we can. And this is terrible. We shouldn't do this. And to be clear, no one's ever made me do that. (laughs) But like having people on your side always helps. And like, if you feel that something is risky or dangerous or bad for your customers, honestly, odds are you're not the only person. So it's like groupthink is super powerful, but you can fight it. I believe in you. Groupthink. Groupthink works both ways. Like groupthink can work both ways. Is there a sense that you need to pick your battles and not be thought of as the person who is like always raising concerns and therefore gets dismissed? Yeah, I mean, as a woman in tech, I feel like I always have to pick my battles. <laughs> but when it comes to like the safety, privacy, and like integrity of my customers' data, I never pick a battle. Like that absolutely comes first for me. Like. I'm not going to be the person that the Equifax CEO points to and is like, this single engineer didn't upgrade something. The one person at Volkswagen who knew about the problem. I'm sure just the one. Just the one. Only one person. This like multi-million dollar defrauding scheme. So that's that's a piece of advice that people, like if you are in a situation where you don't feel like you have power, but you've seen you see something that you're uncomfortable with, then, then one strategy is to try to get other people on your side so that you can sort of build the power through numbers. I think that the ability of just trying to frame the issue in such a way that other people can come to the conclusion that you have come, I think that a lot of times what happens here is that this kind of thing winds up being a a framing issue or a perspective issue. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes you can get people to come to your conclusion step by step as opposed to like getting in a debate and then winning the debate. Right. As opposed to starting off in a posture that might put somebody in a defensive position to sort of walk them through. So I, I had a situation, I actually, something I spoke to you about. It was not something that, that was affecting customers, but it was a, a potential policy affecting employees that I found a little bit disturbing and was having trouble getting people to see my perspective on and eventually was able to, by sort of like kind of 
role playing with people. Like imagine you are X in this situation. Imagine you are that this situation was playing out not between you and other person of goodwill, but imagine the situation is playing out between you, a hypothetical bad actor with power and hypothetical person without power. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes just like, like exposing those scenarios to people can help them see a problem that they're not already seeing. Cause like the, the like classic problem is most good people think that most people are good people. And it's like, that's not true. Humans are garbage. <laughs> And we have our pull quote for the episode. There you go. Right. It's just one of those things where it's really easy to think that good intentions are good enough. And like, that's probably the story of most people's lives. And honestly, that's okay. Like not everything is your fault. I'm not going to hold one engineer responsible for one shitty product decision. It's like somebody somewhere put their foot down and said, we're doing this. And ultimately people were like, well, I'm not going to lose my job over not building this. Like, Fundamentally, it could come down to that. It could come down to you putting your foot down and saying, no, I'm not going to build this. Put me on a different team, put me on a different project, or you have to find a different job. Like that's always a possibility in these scenarios. I've thankfully been fortunate enough that I've never had to run into that. And I know when like all of the Uber catastrophes were exploding in the past year, well, for me, it's been since Uber has been a company, but you know, Everybody is, you know, tweeting about, oh, they can't believe people would actually work at Uber. They can't believe people would actually do this. You're never going to hire anybody who worked there. And I'm sitting here thinking not everybody has the ability to choose where they work. Yeah. It's hard for me to fault somebody for staying in a job, even if it's a bad situation, if they don't see a way out. Like exactly. the responsibility to me at that lo- at, on, on situations like that at, at, at a, a, you know, a, a company where the policies are bad, to me, the responsibility is higher than that at the people who are making the decisions, at the people who are potentially hiring developers who have low leverage on purpose so as to right. you know, not have people who have the comfort level to, to raise concerns. Like I said, it's just I, I feel empathy for, for engineers who are in tough situations. And, and hope that we, you know, you can help them find some tools that they can use to help those situations. But ultimately, like everybody's got to make their own decisions. I think. Yeah, and because stuff like this is so personal, like what feels wrong to me may not feel wrong to someone else. Like it's really tough to make a call sometimes. And like I would love to say that, like if. GitHub asked me to mine Bitcoin in everyone's browsers and then also log all their information and then also steal their code and then also publish it on the internet, even though it was a private repo, and then also print it and mail it to people and then also other terrible things that I can't think of. Like, (laughs) I would like to think that I would say, no, I'm not going to do that. But at the same time, I also have a mortgage. I have a dog to feed, you know, priorities. And so it's all super, super hypothetical until you're put in that terrible situation where you're like, ah! <laughs> it's easy to be free with somebody else's job. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I think that no job is perfect and any place you go to is going to have, especially a larger company might have a history or, or, or a division or something that is going to be challenging. I think it's like when you work in tech, the kind of consensus I have come to over the years has been Everything is awful, but pick the awful that works for you and doesn't destroy you every day, (laughs) which is like so pessimistic when I'm sitting here being like, you can do it. I believe in you. Build good things. So I'm a glass half full and a glass half empty kind of lady is what we're saying. But it's an individual decision. It's a personal decision. 
sometimes there are things that are obviously terrible, but for the most part, you have to do what is right for you. If you can't sleep at night because you think you're doing something terrible, that's probably a sign. So on a career basis, it helps to kind of think about the situations that you would not want to be in and try to guide your career so as you don't avoid those situations. Like I know, like I have not spent a whole lot of time working at super large companies and you know, some of the reasons for that is I don't like working at super large companies. And one of the reasons for that is just, it seems like the possibility for, for weird, weird situations that I would be powerless over seems higher. I mean, like can confirm having worked mostly only at large companies, but like at the same time, I love large companies because I feel like they're very stable and very secure. And as a single income earner, like that is super attractive to me. It's like this company is not going to go anywhere because they employ hundreds, if not thousands of people. Sure. And I, I've, I mean, I, I worked at, at, at Motorola, which was, I mean, I guess stable might not be the right word, <laughs> but that was certainly part of the appeal. Like they had processes in place, like they had, a, you know, that you knew what you were going to be doing for the next six months and you knew where, what your next career letter was. And that is all, you know, very reassuring. So that's like on a career basis, on a project basis, I think it just helps to sort of think through it's terrible. You kind of, you have to think like a terrible person. Yeah, you do. You have to think, what is the worst person going to do with this? And it's amazing to me how often I see things go out where it's clear that nobody has ever thought about. Even now, like even after almost a decade of social media, which pretty much lives on ignoring the what would a terrible person do with this? I don't, And I legitimately don't understand it. Like how has Twitter not figured it out? Yeah, I, I mean – Twitter's baffling. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good word, baffling. I like that one. As I'm like coming into work today, I'm reading about Amazon Key, which is like allowing Amazon delivery people to get access into your house. And I have not read anything other than that, other than like the tweet length version of that. But that sure seems like oh my god, I have not heard of that, and I'm like absolutely not. This is how you get rape murdered in your sleep. It sounds like a terrible idea, and yet what would that do to your like homeowners insurance prices? And like your renter's insurance prices Oh, this random faceless company with an enormous customer service machine where I can't speak to the right person about the right thing unless I'm on hold for two hours has a key to my house. Yeah, I assume it's some sort of one time fancy digital key that you can like enable. That's super not hackable. Totally legit and safe. Because that kind of Internet of Things things, they, they have a sterling security record. Oh my God, I'm living in fear now. <laughs> What have you done? Why did you tell me about this? <laughs> I, I don't think they're going to make you put one on your house list. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. But, but like, so, I, I mean, this is, this is also another argument for diversity and inclusivity in teams, right? That the more people you have on a team who have had a different range of experiences and different ranges of terrible people in their life, the more likely you are to have people come up with objections to things that should be objected to. Mm-hmm. And it's like... How would you know that this technology can be used to stalk someone unless you have either A, stalked someone, or B, been stalked? And who do you think in that scenario is more likely to maybe be concerned? And who is more likely to actually take advantage of that feature? And so it's it's like the saddest thing that having like lived a life and had bad things happen to you makes it easier for you to see when bad things might happen to other people. But at the same time, like that's just the world that we live in. I want to protect everybody and hug them and keep them safe and keep their data safe and keep everything private. And like, I think the other important thing there is when somebody on your team comes in with a different perspective and says, Hey, I think this could be misused. Uh, you, you need to listen to them. Oh, for sure. You got to hear it out and you got to like, 
ask questions and follow up and make sure you really understand where they're coming from. And so even, and, and that's how you get, because eventually you need, you don't necessarily need to be the solution person to raise the problem, but eventually somebody needs to have come up with a solution. Even if sometimes the solution is we just don't do this. Yeah. And sometimes the solution comes out of that conversation. Like the best teams I've worked on have been the teams where I could just have conversations with about what we were building without being concerned about the underlying technology. I, I think that one thing I would recommend for people is to just be aware of the context that they're coding in, mm-hmm. the, the, what the actual business goals are. If you're at a product company, what actually is going to affect and not affect the business to the extent that you can determine that. For me, at a, as a consulting company, a lot of times that's being aware of the client's business and being able to ask questions like, is this really going to help your business? I've certainly had discussions with clients on on a less intensive level, but definitely on a level of clients collecting demographic data that I didn't think was going, they were going to need. And in this case, the consequence for them was just like, it was a longer checkout and I, we weren't, it wasn't even so much an ethical discussion, although it was a little bit like I, my concerns were both ethical and technological. But you have to under, you have to be able to make the case that like you think your business goals are this and this is actually not going to help them. Yeah. And to do that, you need to have an awareness of your surroundings. Yeah. And so like you have your individual customers and then you have how your customers are related to one another. So like, like you said, that demographic data, like, do you really need that? And is it good for your business? Like, is it really worth the effort? That's your individual customer. But once you've collected that data, how do you make sure that you don't accidentally expose that data to the wrong customer? And then how do you keep all of the customer's data safe from outside forces? And so it's like you have all these layers and you're like, Liz, I'm so tired. I don't want to do this. And then I would just say hire a really good security team and then like listen to them and collaborate with them and don't put them in a corner by themselves. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Listen to the people who know what they're doing. Listen to the, well, just listen to people. Yeah. I mean, maybe not some of the bad ones, <laughs> but <laughs> like, listen to people and like, let people feel like they're heard. If someone is like sitting in the corner and is like, Hey, this might be a bad idea. Instead of being like, well, we don't really have time to discuss that in this meeting right now. Maybe be like, Oh, interesting. Could you briefly summarize that for me? And let them do their summary. And then if you truly don't have time, you make the effort to do the follow-up. You make the effort to make sure that that voice, that opinion, that perspective is heard and that it is, you know, validated in some way because there's nothing worse than like finally getting the nerve to raise your hand and then somebody being like, nope, without even hearing you out, just like being completely dismissive. It's so heartbreaking. Right. And from the person's perspective, that, of course, dramatically reduces the chance they're ever going to come up with another concern and, you know, weakens the possibility that you're going to find things. How many of these terrible ad campaigns and terrible products and things like that would be stopped if like three people felt like they had the, the agency within their the company to say like, this is a terrible idea. Don't do it. Humans in general are just, we have the capacity for such wonderful things, but we are also complete idiots. And we like are so internally focused on ourselves and we think about ourselves first. And you know what? This is exactly the advice I give to people when they're negotiating salary. I say, put you first. Um, So like it's a double-edged sword, pros and cons. But what I think is interesting about this is that allowing everybody to put themselves first in like a meaningful way actually is helpful here. Like if you're the person that has a determined an issue, 
like your ability to raise that issue is part of putting your own concerns forward. You can build a process and a structure where people putting themselves and their issues forward is beneficial to the process. And you can put together one where like only the terrible people put the process forward. And like ultimately the goal is that people aren't just raising concerns. People are also bringing ideas to the table. It's like, it's super hard to be like, this is a bad idea. It's also super hard to be like, I have a good idea. Yeah. To phrase what I was about to say, what I just said terribly in a better way, like people (laughs) basically are people and it is process and structure that enables you to put people together in a way that is either like really effective and empowering or bad process and structure lets you put people together in a way that is not empowering and which is harmful both to the you know, the people involved and the people ex- externally. And, you know, I, I just was listening to a, a, a podcast show about that was making the distinction between, uh, it was, they were talking about hospitals and they were talking about uh, hospitals that treat incidents as car crashes and hospitals that treat incidents as plane crashes and a car crash hospital, something goes wrong and they're just like, well, that's the cost of doing business and a plane crash hospital. If something goes wrong, they treat it like a plane crash. Like they do a full investigation of what happened and that ends with a recommendation of how to prevent that from happening again. And it's the same. It's just people. It's doctors and nurses and things like that. But it's a process in place towards continuous improvement and towards people raising concerns and having those concerns addressed versus one in which nobody thinks their concerns can be addressed and therefore nothing gets better. Yeah. I mean, I've been there. I've been in a situation where I felt like nothing I said would be heard or like if it was heard, it would be dismissed immediately. And like I felt like I had no power to speak up for users, let alone myself. And I've found throughout my career, once I started speaking up for users, it was a lot easier for me to start speaking up for myself. And for some people, that's not as big as a concern. But for me, throughout my career, that has been something that has been difficult, despite being a very outspoken, like I like to think brave person at times, it's really hard to stick up for myself. And now I'm like, you know what, if I can like throw a gauntlet down for rando users who don't know me from Eve and like don't care who I am just that I build a thing that works then I should also be able to like stand up for myself and so they're they're relatable skills really so when you were starting to talk about this the the social responsibility talk like who were you trying to reach in that talk and do you think you got to them <laughs> I kind of hope I did uh, so I'd had the topic rattling around in my head for a while but hadn't really found what I thought was a good audience and then this amazing conference in Canada it's like the Canadian University's students in computing or something. It's C-U-S-E-C. I can never remember what it stands for. It's a conference that all computer science students in Canada can go to, and it's really super affordable. They typically get travel grants. And they were like, hey, we would love to have you keynote. And I was like, I have the best topic for you. (laughs) Uh, And I told them what it was, and they're like, this is fantastic. And it was in January in Montreal, and it was the week that the 45th president was inaugurated. And it was a few days before that. So it was an especially like apt time to like try to bring people up from being a little bit down. And I kind of ended the talk with like, I know that a lot of you have had internships. I know that a lot of you are starting to work in this industry. I know that a lot of you want to work in this industry. And I expect like every single one of you to make this industry just like not so terrible to like help us make better things. And I had a lot of students come up to me afterwards and they were like, oh my God, like I never realized that like I could object to like what I was being told to build because they're so used to being in school and they're like, here's 
the goal that we want you to learn, build something to learn this goal. And so they're very much like build this, do this, learn this, study this. And there's, while there is discourse, they don't get input into their curriculum necessarily. And so for them to be like, oh, I can go into a job and ask, why are we building this? Is it a good idea to build this? And it also brought a lot of like, what if I get in a situation where this is the only job and I can't leave? And it's like, I give them the not literal hug, the like (laughs) emotional hug. And I'm like, it's okay. We've all been there. Like you have to like ultimately take care of yourself, but like move forward and do good things. And I was like, I believe in you. And I did like the little emotional motivational penguin dance where I was like on stage, like, I believe in you. You can do it. Go do it. Woo! And they're just looking at me like, you are not cool lady. And I'm like, yes, I am. I am so sad that there's no video of this yet. There's a video somewhere. My lovely Canadian friends, I, I'm sure, are working on it. It was a delightful conference. And like, if you ever get invited to speak at this conference or if you ever have an opportunity to go to it, it's a really good one. I really enjoyed it. It does sound really neat. Yeah. And you get to meet, like, I mean, I normally don't advocate going and meeting a bunch of college students, having been a former college student myself. But they're like also like bright and eager and excited to like meet you in January in Canada. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun, honestly. It, it's cold, but it's fun. Well, it was cold and not fun where I was that week. So you had empathy or ethics training as part of your initial boot camp experience into the, the tech industry, right? Was that useful or was yeah, that? Yeah, to a certain extent I did. So I think for all the dudes that were in my class, it was useful. Uh, But for me, it was like a bunch of people in a room staring at me, expecting me to model the behavior better than them. And so it was just kind of like this really tedious exercise and like, you should just listen to other people. Nope, really, that's all you have to do is just listen. You should listen more than you should talk. And as a very chatty person, this is a very difficult thing for me to do. But like, I think it was useful for some folks. But for me, I have done a lot of things throughout my life. I've tutored autistic children. And if you want to learn empathy, tutor autistic children. That will sure shit teach you empathy. I have worked with animals. I have worked with literally every population of people I could possibly think of. I worked at a domestic violence coalition where I took survivor calls and resource calls and lobbied for funding. And I did training. Like I was a nanny. Like I've done so many different things. And the overarching theme was like, I helped people. And so I had to listen to people. And a lot of the people that I met when I was new to engineering had not worked with people. They had worked with computers for people. And I think that that honestly was the best empathy training I ever received was working in positions where I was serving people, like not literally serving, although I did actually waitress for many years. I had to put the needs of other people as my top priority. Like it was my job to make sure their needs were met. Yeah, which is not the way most computer technology professionals approach their jobs. Eh, I mean like... Stereotypical, right? No, that's my point. Yeah. So listen to people, your user's priorities come before your own or your customer's user's priorities and like look around and understand the context of the work that you're trying to do. Is there a takeaway that another takeaway that you would recommend for people? I think my takeaway is really like, it's super easy to get carried away with all the cool shit that we can do. And it only takes a second to stop and ask, like, should we be doing this? And that's all I'm asking for is just take a quick sec and be like, Hey, should we be doing this? Is it a good idea? Okay. Thanks for being here, Liz. I hope this was a good idea. I had fun. I had fun. I think it was delightful. It was lovely to chat with you and to catch up and stuff. 
and talk about this depressing but also uplifting topic where we will all become better people, right? <laughs> if people want to find you on the internet, where can they find you? The best place to find me is on Twitter. Um, I'm feministy. It's feminist and then the letter Y at the end. You'll see my big old grinny face and then some really cool sheep. You know, I strive for that high quality branding. Um, but I'm feministy literally everywhere on the internet. That's just where I live. Great. Well, thanks for being here. And uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode. Well, bye, everybody. Tech Done Right is a production of TableXI and is hosted by me, Noel Rappin. I'm at Noel Rapp on Twitter, and TableXI is at TableXI. The podcast is edited by Mandy Moore. You can reach her on Twitter at the Ruby Rep. Tech Done Right can be found at techdonright.io or downloaded wherever you get your podcasts. You can send us feedback or ideas on Twitter at tech underscore done underscore right. TableXI is a UX design and software development company in Chicago with a 15-year history of building websites, mobile applications, and custom digital experiences for everyone from startups to storied brands. Find us at TableXI.com where you can learn more about working with us or working for us. As I record this, we have three positions open for software developers and front-end uh, developer and designers, and you can find those at TableXI.com's website. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode of Tech Done Right. Tech Done Right.